With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to another episode of RB1 Colin Fantasy Football Podcast, brought to you by FakeTeams.com. I am your humble host, Pete Rogers, and I'm joined by a whole new crew today. Clark Jordan and Nick were all busy, so I've replaced them with better people. Um, <laughs> we have Gia Thomas, uh, editor from the <laughs> Falcoholic, and uh, Adnan Ekic, writer from the Falcoholic as well. Uh, how are we tonight slash today, since people will be listening to this Tuesday day? Doing great. Um, when I spoke to you about coming on this podcast, I told you that I'd gone two and three in fantasy the first two weeks, and this week I'm five and zero. Oh, so I'm basically an expert Ooh, now. <laughs> basically, basically, you're taking my job right now. So that's perfect. Good. I'm doing pretty good, but my running backs are Lashawn McCoy and Leonard Fournette, and they're both completely injured. So I'm not doing as well in fantasy right now. <laughs> I'm I'm currently hoping that James Conner doesn't score t- two points tonight. Otherwise, <laughs> I, I lose in one of my leagues. So uh, we're all doing great place. We're all in a really good place right now, clearly. Yes. <laughs> uh, as, as fantasy often puts us in. That's one of the many perks and also downfalls of it. Uh, I, to listeners and to you, uh, apologize for my voice. I had a... Uh, ultimate frisbee tournament this weekend which involved a lot of shouting and screaming so i am hopefully i think tomorrow i'll be fine but of course my monday episode monday night episodes always tend to be a little hoarse after those kind of events that's understandable (laughs) so drinking my drinking my tea uh throughout the show uh we got a loaded show today Uh, We'll cover some NFL news hand out our you help no one award this week and give some top waiver wire ads but I would be remiss if we did not spend at least a hot second uh, talking about one of the stranger weeks of football that I've seen in a long, long time. Tom Brady and the Patriots looked like a hot mess in Detroit. The Bills, despite not knowing where Minnesota is on a map, uh, beat the Vikings. The Jaguars lost to a Mariota-less Titans team, and the Browns got their first win in 600 days. So it was just general and uh, complete chaos. (laughs) Uh, so Gina, let's start with you. What was the craziest storyline to you, uh, coming out of week three? You know, I've got to say that it was the Patriots. I mean, I expected them to bounce back after the loss to the Jaguars. Um, they just look like a completely different team on offense. I think that I'm not terribly surprised by the defensive performance, but you know, Brady looks out of sync. That's the first time that we've really seen that from him in his career. So I would say that that is the biggest surprise to me out of this week. Yeah, I should, um, probably have prefaced this before I invited two Falcon fans onto the podcast. I am a Patriots fan, born and raised. Um, so, uh, oh goodness. so, so is my boyfriend. And I think um, yeah. And I watched the, I watched the game last night with him and his roommate. They're both Boston natives and it was not a happy night <laughs> in that house. And even I, I mean, as a Falcons fan, I was like, come on guys. <laughs> it was, it was a pretty abysmal performance. Yeah. It, 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 it was really hard was. to watch. You guys are due for a bad regular season game here and there. 
And honestly, this is, this is the, I know this is the most <laughs> privileged <laughs> Patriots fan comment ever, but it's like, uh, I'm kind of all right with a, with a tough season. Cause it's like, at least this is something to watch as opposed to, I just tune out until week 10 and I'm like, okay, now I start clocking in as we get to playoff. Um, but that's I just will say this though. They, they had two essentially revenge games on the schedule back to back. You know, the Jaguars were gunning for them after the AFC championship last year. And then of course with Matt Patricia in Detroit now, um, I think that he was probably highly motivated to sort of break the streak of former Patriots assistants just getting their asses handed to him by Bill Belichick. And so I think that those, it, it may have had something to do with that too. So we may see them bounce back moving forward. Well, also, I'm, I'm okay. sure Browns fans are foaming at the mouth at your comment about uh, have not no big deal about having a bad season here and there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they're not pleased. They have the better record than the Patriots for the first time in a million years. And I'm like, you know what? I'm okay with the Patriots sucking. Um, I can't, I, I was going to say the Patriots collapse was my pick as well, but I can't let Hugh Jackson off the hook that easily because after watching Thursday Night Football, it blows my mind that Baker Mayfield has been sitting on the bench for two games. It doesn't, mm-hmm. oh, it, yeah. it, I can't conceptualize how Hugh Jackson watches an entire offseason, preseason, and, and all of the practices and is like, you know what's the best thing for my football team? Starting uh, Tyrod Taylor week one. <laughs> How does anyone? How does any head coach in the NFL come to that conclusion? He was even non-committal after the Thursday night after game. After the game, yeah. After watch some film to decide who the week four starter is going to be. Oh my gosh, it blows my mind. Two games, especially since the first two games that the Browns played came down to a tie and a loss by three points. Mm-hmm. After the after the Thursday night game, it was all sexy for everyone to be like, "Oh, Baker Mayfield would have led the Browns to a three and zero start." They should be three and zero. Yeah, they but, really should be. I mean, come on, Hugh Jackson. That I feel like, even though he just won the first game in 600 days, I feel like that's a fireable offense. Not starting Baker Mayfield from day one. He should be oust, ousted from Cleveland. I guess if you don't get fired after going one and 31 over two seasons, you're probably not getting fired over waiting to start uh, Baker Mayfield. But I, re- yes. <laughs> I really hope that that Hugh Jackson does not start becoming the this generation's uh, Marvin Lewis. That would be depressing. <laughs> Ohio has quite a history there with their head. Yeah, good lord. Uh, Anad, what is uh, what is your your storyline that's coming out of week three that you're most surprised by? Easily the Bills. I thought the Vikings were going to go over there and they were just going to railroad them. They were what a 17 point favorite, maybe even more. I picked up Latavius Murray in one of my leagues, just expecting them to to just go off. Maybe a couple touchdowns, have all the carries. The game script was going to be so in his favor to get so many carries in that second half. And then the Vikings O-line just collapsed. Kirk Cousins, two strip sack fumbles in his own half, blindsided in the first half. And then Josh Allen looked really good. Dan Bailey, who was a hot waiver wire pickup, didn't even attempt to kick in the entire game because the Vikings passed midfield like twice in the entire game. I didn't see that coming at all. Yeah. That was that was it. Uh, we have on Fate Teams, we do one of our writers does a game every week where you just try to beat the spread. And so you pick three games each week where you think that the the underdog will beat the spread and you tally up the score. That was a game that everyone obviously stayed away from because 
there's no way that you would think that the Bills, who looked completely hapless against the Ravens and against the Chargers, would do anything in Minnesota against the Vikings. But man, if you had the cojones to pick them, you were getting a lot of points because you're right. I think they went in as minus seven or even might be double digits. Minus 12 or more. I minus think. 17. Oh my God. Oh, <laughs> that is an absurd, absurd, uh, absurd win for the Bills. It was a very weird week. It was. Jordy Nelson had fantasy revel- relevance for the first time since 2016. <laughs> what what world are we operating in where Jordy Nelson in, on, in Oakland suddenly is like a fantasy relevant player? <laughs> well, I, I, you know, it's the, the NFL is always like this. And this is why fantasy is always such a challenge. <laughs> it's the worst. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> yeah, just when you think you have it, figure it out. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. Exactly. I know. You're like, well, like you were saying with the Bills, where it's like everyone's like, oh, Latavis Murray's going to eat this weekend. And then, of course, no, no, it's Chris Ivory. Yeah. Because sure. I mean, that's a name I haven't really thought of in fantasy terms for like <laughs> three or four years. <laughs> yeah. uh, week three will forever be known as the year, the the week of a fantasy irrelevant players just being like, hey, you know what? Maybe I'll try this week. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> all right. So let's get into the NFL news. Starting the news, uh, some bad, some bad info coming out of San Francisco yesterday as Jimmy GQ is done for the season with an ACL tear. Obviously, after Jimmy's torrent end to the season, where he and the 49ers offense were just tearing people apart, uh, they were a very hot pick to be this year's Rams. And while that didn't quite happen, they were certainly a team on the rise. Uh, the Niners have talked about bringing in Tom Savage, and don't get me started on why they're bringing in Tom Savage, a quarterback who has a higher interception percentage than touchdown percentage over his career when you have a quarterback who's at least competent, who's played in San Francisco before, who's a free agent, and, you know, yeah, could maybe help that team. But, uh, Adnan, we'll start with you. Do you think that the Niners should try to salvage the season, or do you just push the rebuild back a year, start C.J. Beathard, and be like, you know what, let's uh, kind of mail it in and, and get a high pick this year, next year? I don't I don't think they may have a choice in the matter because that team completely, re- completely built their team around Jimmy Garoppolo, all the pieces, all the offseason moves. And now for him to go down, first of all, it's just devastating for him. After after he looked so good to end the season last year, he finally got his opportunity to start. So most importantly, it's just I feel so bad for Jimmy Garoppolo just on a personal note. But, I mean, all of those quarterbacks are scrap heap quarterbacks. C.J. Beathard, Tom Savage. I don't think they'll have a choice but to push the rebuild back a year. And that may not be the worst thing for them because the NFC is really loaded. I don't know if they would have made it to the playoffs this year. So you just push it back, get a top 10 pick, and then come out come out firing next season, in all honesty. I mean, I would agree with that. I don't know that they have another choice. I mean, other than that, I guess, because it's clear that they're not going to bring Kaepernick in, I would say you know they could look to try to trade for Brian Hoyer again. Get him back. I mean, yes. he has a guy who knows the system. Hoyer the um, destroyer. Yeah, I don't know that the Patriots be, would be willing to part with him. And so that would be a tricky situation. And then the other guy that I thought of is Jacoby Brissett, because that's another guy that I think has the physical tools to run the scheme um, and obviously also came out of New England. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think that he could do it. But 
you know, Tom Savage is not the answer. I think that we can all agree on that. So I, it is a rough time to be a Niners fan. I, I uh, got into not a, a Twitter spat, but a, a politeful conversation on Twitter uh, mm-hmm. with someone regarding when Tom Savage news came out. I was just I was like, all right, let's be honest, people. The NFL is just trolling Kaepernick right now. Um and this person's point was just that, well, they're like, well, Tom Savage is coming from Houston where they have a bad offensive line and they had a offense that's based around the run game. And I was like, I'm sorry, buddy, but San Francisco has a bad offensive line and an offense built around the run game. So, And also Tom Savage is objectively bad. Objectively I mean, a bad quarterback. If you have, I, I believe his career stats are seven interceptions and six touchdowns, which is not good. Which I mean, is- it's I'm not good at math, but I know that those numbers are very, very bad. And so I, you know, he's not going to be the answer. They are not going to be able to do anything with him at quarterback. And I think that they either have to fully commit to continuing to rebuild or they're going to have to bring in somebody else. Yeah. And to get someone like a Brissett, you'll have to part with some significant draft capital. I don't think yeah. the Colts are going to like let him go for less than a second round pick. Yeah. I agree. No, yeah, I if I mean if I'm if I'm John Lynch, I'm just, you know what I'm saying? Look, we have all the pieces here. We're going to push the rebuild back a year. Be patient 49ers fans. This is going to be a tough season. We're just going to kind of grind through it. We're going to let our young players play, play a lot of Matt Breida, let that defense kind of develop, especially that defensive line, let all the youth there kind of thrive in their linebacking core. And then land hopefully uh, you know, top 10 even, probably top 15 pick. And uh, and try to kind of build through there and just kind of hope the rebuild starts in 2019. I think that makes the most sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I just don't know that they have any other options at this point. I just feel bad for Niners fans. I know everybody was finally excited going into a season. And then, you know, Falcons fans know what that feels like with what's happening on the defensive side of the ball for us. So my heart really does go out to them. I feel bad for them about it. Yeah, I think the final point for for Niners is I think uh, it does. It obviously does suck. You never want it. And I mean, Jimmy GQ is a he's a, he's a Patriots guy. Let's be honest. Patriots mm-hmm. guy, all right, so <laughs> I'm always going to support him. But I also think that given just how good the Rams have looked and how much the Rams have done to stay relevant and ahead of other teams in their in the NFC and the NFC um, what West in particular. I think that the 49ers weren't going to have a, a real shot at anything this year, maybe a playoff push, but that would have been that would have been quite the nice run. I think what you do is let let this season ride out and then this offseason do what every team has done, which is attack, try to get Jimmy some some sort of weapon on the offense that's, you know, I like Marquise Goodwin and Matt Breida looks like he could be something, but I think you're going to need one other kind of legit go-to guy and whether or not that's someone you draft or someone you, you kind of bring in via trade or, or what have you uh, stockpile that offense and then, and then ride in 2019. Yeah. And they already lost Jarek McKinnon to come into the year. Right. Too. That's a very good point. Cause I, I actually really liked him in that offense. Uh, moving on in the news. Uh, Little did I know this, but I guess Gronk was almost a lion. It <laughs> seems that the Patriots had a trade all lined up to send the Hall of Fame tight end to Detroit until he threatened to retire instead of lean Tom Brady, which is both adorable and very career savvy because mm-hmm. love Matt Stafford, but he's not Tom Brady. Uh, we heard rumors that the Patriots are going to trade Gronk this offseason, but I didn't ever think a trade was like legit lined up and ready to go. And I would have been, I 
doubt this will ever get released, but I'd be very interested to have heard what the compensation would be as to if it's like Khalil Mack kind of deal where it's like two firsts and a whole bunch of picks. Um, or if because of Gronk's injury history and quote unquote age at the position, whether or not there would be kind of a, a, a slight downtick in kind of what his value would be in Detroit. Gronkowski, imagine Gronk going to the Detroit Lions after their history of tight end woes. Mm-hmm. Where they just like they've gone from guys like Eric Ebron, and I mean that would have been a huge boon to Matthew Stafford. He would have been Stafford's best weapon since since Calvin Johnson retired, inexplicably. And I mean I don't think it would have been a Khalil Mack like compensation because you look at Khalil Mack, what in the middle of his prime, twenty six, twenty seven years old, playing a prime position as a pass rusher arguably the second most important position in all of football at that defensive end, linebacker hybrid. Nobody trades that except for John Gruden. So, of course, they got a lot of compensation. I think it would have been something around maybe a first-rounder just because of how much older Gronk is and with all of that history, with all of that injury history. But, man, how about Rob Gronkowski using his leverage and not letting the Patriots do to him what they do to all of their good players and trading them before their value Straight goes down. Up. I mm-hmm. mean, that is that is a bold move by Grok right there. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm sure the Patriots are probably glad at this point that he didn't do it because they've just not got a ton of talent to work with yeah. on that side of the ball. So, I mean, I thought that it was kind of hilarious that he was just like, nope, I'll retire. <laughs> no nope. thanks. I'm not going to Detroit. And I don't blame him one bit for that. I mean, he's had so much success in New England. I Matt Stafford is a good quarterback, but he's not Tom Brady. And so I don't blame him one bit for any of that. Yeah, I can't say that. I mean, (laughs) trading Gronk would have been devastating given what Mm -hmm. this offense has looked at, looked like. But even still, everyone loves to, or a lot of people have used the return of Julian Edelman and and possible rise of Josh Gordon as as kind of comfort and thinking that this offense could come back to something. But I'm having a hard time finding comfort in a 32-year-old slot receiver who's coming off of an ACL tear and a man who has played five football games in the last three years. So, I mean, I hope for the best. I would love to see Josh Gordon have a revival in, in New England, but uh, well, not, not. I will say, I mean, when he did play, he looked good. And last season when he first came back and having Brady throwing to him instead of the revolving door that they had at quarterback during his entire time with the Browns. I mean, think about how good he looked with all kinds of terrible quarterbacks. You look back at that 2013 season where he just set the world on fire and it was uh, Jason Campbell. Mm-hmm. because that was a guy who played in the football leagues. Uh, <laughs> Brandon Whedon and Brian Hoyer, I think, were all his quarterbacks for a hot sec that year. Yeah, and, and so played, I think he has a chance to really do some things yeah. there. Had, had he played that full 2013 season, I think he would have broken the single-season receiving record because, remember, he missed the first four games of the year mm-hmm. due to his first marijuana suspension. Okay. Yeah. And I do think the discipline that he'll have in New England is something that he needs. I think that it's a good environment for him. I think getting a fresh start outside of Cleveland is a good situation for him. I have questions about how that team is being run right now. And so, you know, I think that it's a good move for everybody involved, potentially a very low risk on the Patriots part. And it could be very, very high reward considering they just really do not have a very talented offense outside of Gronk and Brady right now. Agreed. Uh, 
And finally, in the news, speaking of superstars possibly on the move, it seems the Chaos Steelers are ready to part ways with Le'Veon Bell instead of paying him. Uh, and so they are officially listening to trade offers. Um, Gino, what team do you think could be calling for Bell's services? Who would be willing up to give up capital for him? Um, I'm, you know, I'm looking at the Bengals. I'm looking at their situation with Joe Mixon. Um, you know, how their offense has actually looked pretty good. And so they're a team that, especially since the Steelers are uh, not that great this year and willing to let go of their best player. Um, I think that, you know, that could work. I don't know their cap situation off the top of my head, but I could see that and they would love to stick it to the Steelers because every team in that division hates each other. And then beyond that, you know, Leonard Fournette, this is, he had some injury issues last year. They look like a very different offense without him. I know the Jaguars have the cap space to sign him. They had like a billion (laughs) dollars. They've spent a lot of it. Where does this money come from? I think that they just... Well, they were so untalented for a very long yeah. period of time. So I think that they just banked plenty of capital. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, you know, Fournette's so talented, but I think that his injury history and the fact that he's out now, it's really problematic for the offense and knowing that they have the money to spend. I mean, those are two places where Le'Veon Bell, somebody who can catch the ball and run like he does, could be the difference between playoff success and not making the playoffs for teams I, like those. I think the Jaguars is one too where – that is like a this is a Super Bowl or bust year, and mm-hmm. I and I could see the Jaguars making that move because that defense is legit, hands it down. Is. That defense can win you a Super Bowl, no problem. And, and you still you, have Blake Bortles as your quarterback, but the thing right. is, Le'Veon Bell covers up a lot of his terrible tendencies because you can just establish the ground game much more effectively with a player like him and the short passing game. I just think that it would be. You know, I, it, it makes sense to me. The other team I thought of is the Eagles, um, just because of a Jay's mm-hmm. injury stuff. But I still think the Jaguars probably make the most sense. Yeah, uh, Anon, what do you what are you feeling for a possible landing spot for Le'Veon Bell? I'll go with the two obvious candidates and the Colts and the New York Jets. They both really need a running back. They both have a lot of cap space, and I think they're both willing to part with some draft capital to get Le'Veon Bell in there even I don't think it would be for a one-year rental <coughs> depending on uh, how much draft capital they give up but I mean I think I saw I read a report that the New York Jets were checking in on Le'Veon Bell yeah. already so I mean those are two teams to really watch out for because I mean the Colts too they just hate addressing their defense so this is something that I can totally see them doing of adding another piece to the offense by and completely ignoring that defense. The guy of the Colts is one of my teams. And I literally wrote the sentence. I was like, and they love to spend money on offense and ignore their defense entirely. So this is very much on brand for them. It's a total Colts move. Uh, and pl- I mean, Andrew Luck is also bottom in the league in average completed air yards with 3.4 per completion. And so clearly the Colts and Luck don't entirely have confidence in his shoulder so far. And you saw that when they didn't have him on the field to throw the Hail Mary against the Eagles. So like we said, Le'Veon Bell adds at a dynamic runner, which takes the pressure off of Luck, as well as a pass catcher on short intermediate routes where Luck doesn't have to go chucking it down the field to TY. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, it's, it's invaluable for someone like Luck who is being – being uh, treated with kid gloves right now to be able to just pound the rock, hand it off to Le'Veon Bell 20, 25 times a game. Yeah. Uh, The 
team that I like, we joke about this team a lot on the, and that's because Clark, who's one of our co-hosts, uh, he's a big Texans fan. Uh, and so we make a lot of fun of him saying that Le'Veon Bell is going to go to Texans, get his hopes up. And then ultimately it's not going to happen, but <laughs> it does make a lot of sense. The Texans also are a team that has a fair amount of cap space and their offensive line is going to get Deshaun Watson killed. Uh, but putting Bell in that backfield would obviously then give him a quick outlet to, in order to help neutralize the rush. Plus, Despite of their poor performance, uh, both Lamar Miller and Alfred Blue have been had pretty good success so far this season. Um, and so there would be plenty of running room for Bell to capitalize on since he's vastly superior than both Miller and Blue. Um, he'd be able to really take advantage of, of the holes that are being open. Plus, putting Bell and Watson in the backfield together seems both unfair and like a Madden franchise owner's dream. Oh, yeah, that would be incredible. And the other thing is, I just think back to Matt Ryan's rookie year, and part of the reason he was able to develop so quickly is because he had Michael Turner to rely on. And so I think that having a really reliable back, a bell cow back, like Le'Veon Bell, I think that that could make all the difference for Deshaun Watson's development, too, as a player, which is, I mean, that's their long-term investment. That's their franchise quarterback of the future. And so I think that that would be worthwhile just for that reason. Love. They, won't, they won't do it and they'll be wrong. <laughs> right. Love that Michael Turner made it into this podcast. I was a big Michael Turner fan when I was Madden 08 was like, I played it on my Mac. That was the game that I just kind of started my Madden addiction to. Mm-hmm. Um, and Michael Turner was always a running back who I built my team around because he was just a perfect blend of power up the middle and effectiveness in the passing game. Oh Excellent. yeah. He Excellent guy. We miss him. Right. I think he had what? 17, 18 touchdowns in 2008. It's a ridiculous number. So yeah, good. it was. He was a lot of fun to watch. He was the best. Excellent. So there you go. So that's the uh, that's the NFL news for you. Um, and now moving on, we are going to hand out our You Helped No One Award. So every week there are a few players that help no one because either they had a fantastic game but weren't on anyone's team or they were on everyone's team but just sucked it up. Uh, and so we have our week three nominees. Um, and our week three nominees are as follows. Uh, Stefan Diggs, wide receiver for the Minnesota Vikings, who had 10 targets with a mere four receptions for 17 yards. Albert Wilson, wide receiver slash quarterback slash running back for the Miami Dolphins, who had two receptions for 74 yards and a TD, as well as 52 yards passing and a touchdown. Josh Allen, the quarterback of the Buffalo Bills, uh, with 196 yards through the air and a touchdown, but also 39 yards on the ground, including two touchdowns. Uh, And then we have... Our fourth nominee, Philip Lindsay, uh, running back for the Broncos, who finished the game with only four attempts and 20 yards because he got ejected for throwing punches in a scrum. And our final nominee for You Helped No One in Week 3, Mr. Thomas Brady. We've talked about him plenty already on this show. Uh, a mere 133 yards with one touchdown and an interception. Gina, who is your nominee or who is your pick for the least helpful player in Week 3? Um, I got to go with Albert Wilson just because where did that come from? Like he was so good this week. (laughs) Nobody expected him to be throwing a touchdown pass, especially not a 52 yarder. And then, um, you know, he was the, he was the leading receiver for the dolphins the week before, but he had 37 yards. And so, you know, this kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, it was a heck of a day for him. So that's, I've just got to go with him because when I read his stat line, I was like, that's got to be wrong. That right. can't be, that can't be legitimate. And it was. So I, that was, <laughs> thanks a lot, Albert Wilson. Nobody knew you had this on you. 
And not only that, but if you were someone who in DFS, I guess, needed to, or if you are just someone who likes to risk it for the biscuit and started <laughs> Ryan Tannehill, he took a touchdown out of Ryan Tannehill's hands. Mm-hmm. And so, I know, you know, especially in, in larger leagues, you know, most people have Ryan Tannehill, I'm sure, at right. least the backup. And so, yeah. Ah, worthless. <laughs> uh, Adon, who do, you, who do you have as your nominee? Uh, I'll go with Stefan Diggs, but I just want to pre- preface that by making a, the symbolic award given out to the entire Vikings offense because that entire offense was absolute garbage this entire week. <laughs> Dan Bailey didn't have a single kick attempt like I mentioned. Latavius Murray had one rushing yard and 30 receiving yards, which kind of salvaged things. Uh, Diggs had the one fantasy point if you don't do decimals and if you do it's less than two and I mean Kirk Cousins was just awful not completely to his fault but that that Vikings team did not address that offensive line at all and I think that's going to come back to really bite them not just in a fantasy football sense throughout the regular season but I think that O-line is going to cost them any chance of competing in the NFC this year. Yeah, they, as much as the Colts love to ignore their defense, the Vikings love to ignore their offensive line. That's always comes back to bite them. Uh, My pick for this week's award, no surprise. uh, We've had a lot of write-in votes, one of them being Gronk, who I thought Gronk won it last week for for just putting up 15 yards against the Jaguars. And I was like, well, Gronk put up 53 yards, which is not a Gronk performance, but also just that whole offense was not a Patriots performance. So Tom Brady, mm, you helped no one this week. 133, a touchdown and an interception, single digits against a Lions defense that looked just atrocious through the first two weeks um Mm -hmm. and everyone was expecting for brady and the patriots to just pick apart for as much as i've heard people being like oh matt patricia knew the patriots offense inside and out and so like he was able to kind of game plan against it well yeah the patriots also know matt patricia's defense inside and out and Mm -hmm. could have game planned against it and so the lack of weapons lack of established you know uh a stable rushing attack, but ultimately, Brady, we expect better from you. So mm, you help no one this week. <laughs> uh, and then, since we have we had a a poll on faketeams.com, which everyone voted on, and so we'll add tally our votes in. And the winner for week three uh, is, of course, none other than Mr. Thomas Brady. Uh, who came in with the top amount of votes. 56% of the votes went to Thomas. Philip Lindsay, surprisingly, uh, was the second with 33% of the votes. And then Anon, your Stefan Diggs slash the entire Vikings offense came in third with 11% of the votes. So there you go, Thomas. Back-to-back Patriots winning the You Help No One uh, award, which is uh, not great. <laughs> can't, say I'm, I can't say I'm happy about that. I don't blame you. <laughs> I'm not thrilled. Uh, so there you go. Uh, and so we'll wrap up the show with giving a couple waiver wire targets that you should be going after. And I'll start and just to a piece was well, not even just to a piece. It's actually because let's be honest, he should be on everyone's team. But I wanted to start with this guy to appease all of you since we spent so much time talking about the Patriots. Let's talk some Falcons. <laughs> Calvin Ridley is legit. Everyone. Uh, yeah. 
only owned in 44% of Yahoo leagues. Uh, on last week's podcast, one of our co-hosts, Nick, said that Ridley was a must-start Sunday uh, against the uh, Saints, and I scoffed at him. And so, Nick, I apologize. Uh, Ridley has been targeted 13 times over the past two weeks, and he's not just a downfield threat that's going to be reliant on big plays or touchdowns. He's a legit route runner. That's what he's been touted as coming into coming out of college and into the league. He'll be able to continuously get open throughout the season, and I could see him continuing to build upon this extreme this start and his chemistry with Matt Ryan and then the offense and ultimately finishing wide receiver two category this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he's been phenomenal. Now, I am an idiot because I did draft <laughs> Calvin Ridley in a number of leagues because I expected him to settle in and really become a feature in this mm-hmm. offense. However, I did not start him last week because I was still unsure about how he was fitting in. He didn't do anything in week one. Yeah. And then he, you know, had a big game last week. So then this week I was like, eh, I don't really trust Sark all the way. Like, I don't know if this is a fluke. So I left him on my bench to the tune of like close to 40 points. And so I, (laughs) now I am going to win every matchup by a lot this week. So I just, I'm going to brag about that again because it happens so rarely, but, um, it's still, I mean, I would have won by so much more if I would have really the worst is, that's the absolute worst is where you don't need the huge performance and it's on your bench, but you're like, God, if I could have just like packaged that big performance for a week that I needed it, Yeah, like I could have won more games in the first two weeks if I had had Ridley playing like that. Yeah, it's it's like I I'm five and zero in all my teams, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I could have used that forty points last week. That would have been great, Ridley. So it's very Falcons to make that happen to me. I just have to say, (laughs) Calvin Ridley, if you're listening to this podcast, because we know you are, uh, (laughs) you could have really just put that performance last week. uh, That would have been great. Gina would have really appreciated it. Already more touchdowns than Julio Jones had all of last year. Oh. <laughs> another another running uh, narrative on this podcast that I have been promoting for the last, well, this podcast has only been around for a year and a half. So the last year and a half has been Julio Jones' touchdown analogy and how Sark needs to just get fired. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it looks like Sark's finally putting it all together and hopefully that will yield better results for Julio owners because I know there's one sitting on my couch right now and they are in general <laughs> not happy about the way that things are going. I hear about it from a lot of Falcons fans about real football and fantasy football. Everybody's upset. About it. <laughs> I mean, at this point, you just have to expect it because, I mean, Julio had double-digit touchdowns in 2012 and then that's it. He's just not someone who the Falcons scheme up in the yeah. red zone. Which blows my mind. How do you not scheme this up? How? Sark, how do you look at your freakish human wide receiver, the best in the league, and you're like, you know what we're going to do when we get into 10 yards out of the red zone? Not throw to him. That seems like a great idea. You use him as a decoy, and so did Kyle Shanahan, too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, Gina, who are you having people add off a waiver with? If you could add a player. Um, yeah, I got to go with Geronimo Allison. One For one thing, I really like his name. And just think about having him in your lineup and every time he does something, you get to yell Geronimo. Like, that's fun. Secondly, he's actually been a pretty consistent target for Rodgers, um, and he's stepping up pretty big. So he is not owned in very many leagues. He should be available. And um, that's the guy that I actually am going to go after. I hope nobody that I play against is listening to this podcast. Don't worry, we're only listened to by professional football players. Excellent. No, no actual like fantasy players listen to this podcast. We're only listened to by coaches, <laughs> professional players. It's a okay. weird niche market that we've stumbled into. 
then hopefully Sark takes our advice about <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I love that. I was preaching Geronimo Allison's name last week. Uh, he has, in all three games, gone over 60-plus yards and mm-hmm. has scored a touchdown in two out of three games. Any wide receiver that shows up in the Packers' offense is worth adding, and particularly given the track record of them losing a wide receiver for some period of time, mm-hmm. you know that Allison, if um, – oh, my God, I'm spacing on his name now. Randall Cobb. Randall Cobb or uh, their big Adams. Yeah. If either of those guys miss times, Geronimo Allison's stock is just going to go through the roof and you, you would much rather have him on your team now and take advantage of that rather than have to hope that you have a top waiver wire priority to snag him then. Uh, Adnan, who are you adding off of waivers? Tyler Boyd. Yes. Tyler Boyd. The last two weeks has gone for over 90 yards and a touchdown in each of those two weeks. He is Andy Dalton's, bonafide number two target behind <laughs> AJ Green. He has an 18% target share. Uh second to only AJ Green who has a 22% target share in the Bengals offense. The Bengals offense is very solid. It's a very decent passing attack no matter what your opinions are on Andy Dalton. Tyler Boyd looks legit this year and also AJ Green is fighting a groin injury which he picked up against the Carolina Panthers. He missed most of the second half. So we don't know what his status is going forward. But Tyler Boyd, even as a standalone option, should be owned in every single league. Yeah. And their next four games are against the Falcons, Dolphins, Steelers, and Chiefs, three of which are in the bottom six in pass defense. We'll definitely pick him up before they play the Falcons because they basically have a bunch of guys off the street playing in safety. I mean, we don't even – I think we have like maybe one actual safety left on the roster, and he is not any good. And so oh, You know how I know he's not any good? <laughs> The Patriots traded him to you guys. <laughs> and, yeah. and we spent the last three years ripping him apart because not a good safety. Hate to break it to you guys. Yeah, well, we trust me, we know. Yeah. <laughs> it's terrible. Well, that's not good. Uh, I love the Tyler Boyd pickup. He's definitely a must-add. As the Bengals offense has returned to that time period where Mohamed Sanu and A.J. Green and um, Marvin Jones were all on that team in all viable fantasy options, it seems like Tyler Boyd AJ Green, Joe Mixon when he's healthy, Geo is is coming back in full form. That offense is looking explosive. Yeah, it's going to be a really explosive nine and seven season under Marvin Lewis. <laughs> and Marvin Lewis will never get fired, and he'll be given an extension after the year's over. <laughs> Probably, yes. <laughs> oh man, is there any coach who's gotten more extensions on top of the extensions that he's already gotten? Oh, Jeff Fisher, and he might be the only one. <laughs> he might be the only one. I saw this one. Uh, thing on twitter it's a, a scenario a post-apocalyptic world where everything is just like gone to rubble and then out of the rubble steps marvin lewis with the clipboard and the Bengals hat <laughs> that's pretty good it's, 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 what's gonna happen the only thing that's gonna survive the nuclear holocaust is cockroaches and marvin lewis <laughs> i think that my friends at sensi jungle would agree with you wholeheartedly yes. They're all very confused as to why he's still there. Uh, everyone is. All right. Uh, I'm sure even he is at this point. He's untouchable. My uh, second waiver wire target that you got that people should be going to get Javorius Allen. Uh, talking about NFC North teams, Baltimore Ravens. All Buck Allen does is score touchdowns. He did it twice Sunday against the Broncos, and he scored at least one every game this season. He's obviously not going to continue to do that. But, or maybe he will. Who knows? I mean, maybe he'll just score 18 total touchdowns like uh, LeGarrette Blunt. 
But he is definitely a running back that you should get on your team. He's owned at 25% of Yahoo leagues. He's not a must start right now, but he's certainly flex worthy and a player that if injuries happen or just kind of the hot streak continues, you're going to want him on your team rather than on someone else's team. Uh, My second one is Ricky Seals Jones. Uh, Tight end is a super shallow position right now. And I mean, Seals Jones plays 91% of their snaps was super frustrating the first two weeks, but hey, he scored a touchdown this past week and Josh Rosen is now going to be throwing him the ball. So that should be better for his fantasy prospect. He has the physical tools. I think Seals Jones should at least be on your bench as a tight end too at this point with some upside. Yeah, especially, I mean, we talked about how it took forever for Baker Mayfield to get onto the field. I haven't seen enough of Josh Rosen to know if that's going to be uh, a necessarily a huge uptick in the Cardinals offense that's looked absolute garbage, but at least it's someone who's competent and throwing the football as opposed to the fragile China cabinet and the Sam Bradford. And for me, my second one, I'm going to go back to the Falcons um, and also stick with the tight end position. Tight end has been my biggest weakness on all my rosters this year, except for like I've Gronk in a couple of leagues. I have Travis Kelsey in one. But otherwise, you know, they're just it, it's it is a very shallow position this year. And so Hooper does have a tendency to boom or bust from week to week. But I do think be, with the emergence of Calvin Ridley and with Julio on the field, even when Julio is not doing much teams have to account for him. And so I think that those guys plus Mohamed Sanu are going to pull coverage away and just let Austin kind of eat guys up over the middle. Um, And we've seen him make some really spectacular plays. We know the talent is there. It's just a matter of getting him to a point where he does it consistency. And you would hope that in year three, he would come into his own there. So I've got Hooper on my bench in a couple of leagues, and I think that he'll be moving into a starting position. I really like that. I really like the Hooper pick. I had him on one of my waiver wire articles for this week, just saying, because Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones are going to start drawing it. Well, Julio always draws attention, Mm -hmm. but with Calvin Ridley, draw attention to the outside of the field, which is going to open up the middle for Austin Hooper to just eat, which is exactly where he's going to operate and do do damage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And we've seen him have go off for huge games. I mean, I think it was against the Lions last year. You know, he stiff-armed a guy into... The Bears. Next the Bears. Week. Was it the Bears? Yeah, I yeah. mean, he, he stiff-armed a guy into next week. And he, you know, I think he had over 100 yards. I don't I don't have the stats in front of me, but we were all like, finally, Austin Hooper is good. And then he's been kind of up and down since then. But I, he has the potential to be good. It's just a matter of getting to that point where he's consistent. And since tight end is such a shallow position, you have guys like Delaney Walker all, already oh, on entered okay. reserve, which really was problematic for me um <laughs> and also for him i'm sorry Delaney, obviously. You're <laughs> mainly for me but, but mainly it was more crushing for me <laughs> you know since since we know players and coaches are listening right, I just exactly to be sure but um yeah so i think that hooper is a good is a good potential target and yeah. hooper in real life knows that he has to step up this year that this may be his final chance before the Falcons start looking elsewhere if he doesn't step into that role that they think that he'll step into. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I think that he'll be highly motivated. Well, there you go, everyone. I, I mean, I don't know how you could attack the waiver wires without snagging any of those people. Those are the clearly the names. There's no better names out there. We've, we've done our job to a perfect mm-hmm. level. Well yeah. done us. <laughs> uh, so thank you guys so much for jumping on for the pod. Uh, make sure to subscribe and on both iTunes and Stitcher, leave us five stars and tell us that you love us because we're great. And we bring on awesome guests. (laughs) 
follow us on the Twitter at RB1 Podcast. Follow myself at Pete M. Rogers. Follow Gina at Gina Thomas. Uh, and follow uh, Anon at uh, Say Which Way. Is that correct? Yes. There's a story behind that. I'm not getting into it right now. <laughs> <laughs> but it is there. There is a tale. Uh, I wanted to make sure that I was given the right handle as opposed to just some random guy and being like, well, this guy's going to get, you know, a bunch of professional football players following him on Twitter because that's what why, happens. Why don't you follow Adnan and then tweet him and ask him to tell you the story? Oh, there it is. So uh, Marvin Lewis. He's a professional at this, as we can tell. Marvin Lewis. <laughs> Do that and nod and, and, and ask him about that name on his Twitter account. Uh, we'll be back at you. I will be back at you guys. Uh, let's see what Thursday, where we preview and do our start and sits for week four. But until then, uh, peace.